Hey listeners, we've loved delving into the business of wine with you and our guests. Your feedback via email, text, social media, and by joining us on our live episodes on Clubhouse has meant the world to us, and we keep striving to do better and better. Some of you have asked on how you can help support the show. So we've decided to launch on Patreon, where your contributions can offset the cost of the show and you can get access to our full library of episodes with more benefits to come. To become a patron of X Chateau, go to patreon.com slash X Chateau to lend your support starting at $5 a month. You can find the link in our show notes or on xchateau.com. We will give a shout out to all new patrons each episode. Welcome to X Chateau. X Chateau. The podcast that navigates the business of wine with unique perspectives and insights with your hosts, Robert Vernick and Peter Young. Welcome to this episode of X Chateau. Today, we are going to be talking about the wine industry and augmented reality, as well as celebrity branding. Our guest is Ming Alterman, brand director for 19 Crimes, which is a division of Treasury Wine Estates. Welcome to the show, Ming. Hey guys, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I was wondering if you give Peter and I a brief overview of your background and career in wine. Yeah, so I'm relatively new to wine. Not a lifer, but I've uh, been about four years in the wine industry and all at Treasury Wine Estate. I came to Treasury mostly having a background in sports, celebrity partnerships, and also digital marketing. And I think they were particularly looking for someone outside of wine for the role that I was in previous to the one that I'm in now. But it's been a great journey so far. I had the opportunity to be the digital lead at Treasury in terms of what we've done with augmented reality, paid media, native content websites and now have made the transition into brand marketing, which fully looking after what I think is one of the most exciting and innovative and disruptive brands in wine, which is 19 Crimes. So having come in outside the wine industry into treasury, what do you think you brought from other industries that wine didn't have? I think it comes down to so many great brands, so many great wineries, but let's be honest, there's about 25 to 30,000 brands. And you look at other industries and you don't see all of those type of brands. And let's be honest, like see of sameness a little bit with some of these wineries and wine brands in terms of the look and feel in terms of the offering. And so what I've learned in other industries is how do you stick out? How do you stick out from the crowd? How do you be innovative? How do you disrupt? And how do you offer something to the consumer that's unique? And so that's what I was really focused on, you know, especially coming in. But obviously being a newcomer, wanted eyes wide open, wanting to learn a lot, got my W set too immediately. I know that's not huge, but it's something and immediately took to studying wine and being knowledgeable about it. And so you mentioned, and that's right, there's a ton of brands in wine and that's one of the things that makes it different. But are there other things that you've learned as you've studied the wine industry that you think makes it different from other industries? Yeah. I mean, I think in Alcbev specifically, it's, it's relying on a crop that is very dependent on weather. And so what you make in this vintage might be different from another vintage. And I think that's really different from other things where there's industries where your crop or your what you're hawking is a little bit more sustainable in terms of what you can predict and what you can rely on. And so I think that was a big eye-opening thing for me. Also, relationships with winemakers and things like that was definitely new for me in that respect. But um, I think obviously you guys are experts in the field and there was just so much to take in so fast. But I think you had to go in with a little bit of, hey, I'm not trying to shake things up, but a little bit of some humility of trying to learn and study before trying to make some big change and stuff. So, so we're going to focus today's discussion around 
talking about the 19 crimes labels. And, you know, obviously it's essentially an overnight success. Everybody knows it for the augmented reality labels, but then now locally Snoop Dogg labels as well as Martha Stewart is essentially rocketed to become a top 15 brand by the U.S. retail-based Nielsen IRI data with over half a million cases sold in 2021 with an average price around $11.50. Could you give us a brief overview of what is 19 Crimes, the brand positioning, and how did it come about? Yeah. So what's different about 19 Crimes from the start is we're a virtual brand. We don't have a cellar door. We don't have a winery. We don't have a winemaker who's front and center. This was born out of a true historical narrative of people, artists, politicians, etc., scholars who were convicted in the United Kingdom and sentenced to punishment by being sent to Australia. So it's based on a true historical tale of a lot of these men and women who were sent to Australia to become the forefathers of Australia. And so it's born on what is a true historical yarn, but it's also a marketing yarn in terms of that positioning. And I felt like that allowed us to do things a little differently in the wine space. I think we were the first people with matte black bottles. We have collectible corks with the crimes on it, augmented reality, which we'll touch on in a minute. And, you know, it allowed us to be sort of this, you know, when wine zigs, we zag and sort of the, I know it's a trite word, but sort of to disrupt what can and what could be a wine brand. So I am curious because it does sound, what I heard was brand story over vineyard story. A lot of the, as we go up in price point, we start to talk about terroir and the land and the sense of place and all that. But this is like, it's starting from a narrative and like a hook, right? To identify that brand. And I guess my question is, at this price point, is that what your research shows is more important? Like getting that hook and that narrative and standing out from the crowd? Or is it, how did you get to the point where you're making that choice of going brand story first? Yeah, well, I'll say by saying that You know, in wine, obviously, if we don't have wine that delivers, like for whatever price point it is or for the consumer, we're going to fail. You can have the best marketing in the world, and someone might pick up your bottle once and then say, This is crap. So I'll start with saying that, like, the wine delivers for the price point and for the consumer. Now, to go into your question, we have done a lot of research in terms of a lot of people, at least Americans, will pick up a bottle because of the look and feel, or because it might be, I want to buy wine at this price point red or white, and then this looks cool. And so I think we were taking a lot of that simple insight and saying, how do we have a pack and how do we have a story that will really stick out and be unique to this consumer, especially at big retail, especially with, let's call it from a national level of you know American wine drinkers. We actually started to get more headway in Canada first, but America actually eclipsed that. And yeah, and so in terms of I think people were picking up the bottle for the uniqueness and for the story and for the edgy attitude, but soon found out that the wine delivered and that's why we had repeat purchase. So when you're building a story, I got to imagine you have a specific demographic or target in mind. I guess my question is, who is the average consumer? And is what you're seeing from the data of who's actually buying it the same as what you originally planned for? Yeah, I mean, we didn't expect... This is going back a long time ago, but seven or eight years ago, we didn't expect it to take off like wildfire. But we knew that in this demo, which let's call it 35 to 55, they wanted to be part of something and they wanted to relate to the actual story of 19 crimes. And with that talk about like criminality or being different, everyone has that like streak or talks about the human spirit or loves these people's story. They are able to quickly 
understand the story and say, hey, I can relate to this. Or I might relate to this five minutes out of the day in my normal life, but I'm a rebel. Or like, I feel like, hey, I don't really know a ton or I'm not interested in terroir or the provenance of wine. I want to be part of a spirit of a brand and obviously disconnected. So there's kind of a, the lower end of Gen X and the upper end of millennials is kind of the sweet spot for your market. But I'm, does it bleed even lower down into millennial category? Like, are you seeing that adoption? Like, how is it happening for like, how does 19 Crimes compare to like some of the like White Claw stuff that's going on the seltzer market? Like, is that a competitor for you guys? I wouldn't say it's a competitor, but I definitely think we always need to be thinking about the next generation of wine drinkers. I think we'll touch on it a little bit with Snoop, but I think one of the most things that I'm proud of is that through Snoop, we were able to bring 200,000 new consumers into wine. And that's not even talking about into 19 crimes. And so these are people, these 200K, they're like drinking spirits or beer or White Claw. And I mean, we've been deemed as like, hey, the non-wine wine brand for people or like we take a more of a page out of beer and spirit marketing. I don't really concentrate on that. I think we deliver a proposition that is really relevant to a lot of these people. And I would have to say like out of those 200,000 folks, some of them were from drinking White Claw, of course, right? So we don't really see that those White Claws are competitor just because of it's sort of an adjacent category, but we've definitely have taken from it a little bit. So you mentioned a couple things as like the key hooks for as you're building this brand. You mentioned the story, obviously, collectible corks, matte bottle, and then obviously the augmented reality. I'm curious on what you think each of those does to attract that target audience. Yeah, I think the one thing I didn't mention is obviously sticking the actual mugshots of people and or people on wine. You know, you go through, go to a wine aisle as we've all been, and you see some chateaus, you see nature, you see animals, but we rarely see people. And I think for one thing, that human connection and that clear, let's call it what started out as a mugshot and now are like good headshots of people like Snoop and Martha, that stuck out on shelf. And so for brand recall, when we're in such a category, I think it was like, hey, I'm a little nervous in terms of what to buy. I've had 19 crimes before. I liked it. It's the price point I wanted. And I love the pack. I'm going to pick that up. Now, I think the black matte bottle definitely contributes to that as well. We printed all of the 19 crimes, the individual crimes themselves onto corks. And so a lot of people have collected those corks. And so I've seen huge collections on social, really, really cool UGC stuff. And I think it was another form of discovery in which you have another piece of marketing or collateral that allows the consumer to go deeper. So repeat purchase, buying again. With Snoop and Martha, we also featured five different collectible corks, which are cool. So it's just a little, another piece of that discovery. And then AR obviously blew that out of the water because augmented reality, we had these actual folks coming to life through augmented reality. And this app, which we'll touch on in a little while, over 5 million downloads, you see that only for branded apps with like your Delta app or like loyalty apps that really offer some huge utility or like keep tracks of your points or whatever. And so all of those things, I think, stuck out to like our awareness and also to that brand discovery and discovering another layer of the story and that narrative. So you mentioned the augmented reality, and that's one of the things that made 19 Crime so famous and pioneered the use of. Could you give us an overview of how that AR technology works for 19 Crimes? Yeah. I mean, we started out in thinking about how can we tell this story of these quote-unquote convicts getting shipped from the United Kingdom over to Australia. And we didn't have a ton of money at the time. Yeah, you can make big films, but like 
obviously to tell that historical story would be really hard. So we were concentrating on augmented reality and virtual reality in terms of being able to tell that story. And what we found is at that time in 2017, now we have Oculus and other things. A lot of people, at least in store, didn't want to put on the big headset and like get on the boat, see all these people actually going to Australia. Now, I thought the creative was dope, but what we did found is people were willing to download an app or to find like someone who had an app and then put it to the bottle and then immediately come to life in terms of that talking. And so I think we were placing equal bets on both and then augmented reality just blew it out of the water. Now, in terms of the technology, I don't think it's not propriety. I'm not telling anything that's not a secret. It's something in which you augment your reality. So you create a sort of a video and a 3D puppet of that actual person and then you animate their mouth moving and obviously you have to record the line separately. So it's not that hard, but what we did differently was that it really looked like it was augmented reality and it was simple to the point and it wasn't like you had to explore a world. It came to you instantly with that instant gratification. And was that there from day one of 19 Crimes or did it come in later? It came in a couple of years later. Like if we think of the brand at least launching 2012, 2013, I told you that it really started to make a little ripples in Canada first. It wasn't even like, it was a really, really small couple, you know, 10,000 case brand. And then in 2017, when we were looking, how can we be associated with the tech conversation? How can we do things and tell our story in a different and breakthrough way? That's when it really came to life. But I think there was a little bit of luck, but there was also, we had some great partners being in the Bay Area as well that could help us bring this to life in a good way. Just talking about markets for a, a side second, you talked about Canada and the US. Is 19 Crimes a global product or is it mostly North America based? No, we're officially global. I would say in terms of market, US obviously the biggest. We're really big in the UK in terms of, as you can imagine, in terms of the story and brand appeal, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and then slowly making our way throughout Asia and to the rest of the world. We're actually the number one wine in Puerto Rico too, which is kind of cool in the price tag. <laughs> it's technically part of the US, but it's on those gray areas. Commonwealth, right? Commonwealth. Yeah. yeah, Commonwealth. Well, and then I think number two in Dominican Republic. So yeah, I mean, the Caribbean, we have a foothold, which shout out to our sales team there. <laughs> so what do you think about the AR made it so successful for 19 Crimes? And how does a consumer even know when they pick up a bottle that they're supposed to download an app and do something with it? Yeah, I think at launch, so I'll answer your second question first. At launch, we were, you know, I'm going to let you guys on a little secret. And this was supposed to be a sales tool. It was supposed to be with the buyer to show them something really, really cool and tell the story. It quickly morphed into, and I would never do this again, it quickly morphed into a consumer thing because consumers were picking it up and loving it. And how consumers were figuring it out was unpack. We have QR codes, which were to download the app at the time. We had invested a lot in POS. We even at a time had invested in screens that could be in grocery stores to talk about how the bottle comes to life and the steps. Those were a bit of trouble because of battery and like electric connections and end caps. And there's not always, but I don't want to bore you with those gory details. But yeah, it was really investing a lot in POS and in-store marketing. And a lot of people got behind it, especially Kroger and their banners and Safeway. And so quickly it became something that we were seeing a lot of people scanning in the aisles themselves. And obviously to a buyer, that's wonderful because they want to keep people more in the wine aisles, right? 
So, mm-hmm. And so what do you think made it so successful for 19 Crimes specifically? Yeah, I think it's about the experience. Like we all want instant gratification. You download the app, you hold it up in one second, you have a John Boyle Riley telling you about how they came to Australia, or you have someone talking about the crime that they were accused of. And, you know, that's really cool. And we live in a day of wanting to share cool things on the internet. And what happened was it, it spread a little like wildfire. It looks great on screen. It looks great. You can record it. And it really went viral at the time. And so I think it's a matter of shareability. It's a great creative and it's simple right at the core of it. And so have you gotten a lot of feedback from consumers about the augmented reality? I mean, obviously people are sharing it and that's how it went viral, but did they give you any other specific feedback about it? Yeah, a ton of stuff in terms of wanting to see different things happen. Like, can you tell the weather? Can you like wish me a Merry Christmas? Like, and obviously we have to stay true to the brand, but I always love when consumers tell us what they want or what they want to hear about. So yeah, definitely, whether it's on our social or our loyalty program, you know, I feel really proud of the two-way conversation that we have, the back and forth with our consumers. I am curious, as you've set up, uh, you've seen the response from consumers, I have to imagine you engineered some of it too, as you've seen that uptick to enable them to share that to various social medias to help with that virality. Is that something that you guys did implement? Yeah, I mean, at the start, the app was very bare bones, and we weren't even talking about web AR at the time. We've done things in terms of functionality where you can record. We didn't have that in the beginning. So people were taking two phones and being like, I'm going to scan with the bottle and then record with the other phone. Obviously, we're not a tech company. We don't move as fast as other people or as like a lot of other tech companies. But eventually we did build on that functionality because I wanted people to share it in a great way. I don't want you holding up two phones. Like that's kind of a little cumbersome, right? So yeah, I mean, it was in studying and seeing what was going on in some of the social platforms to be able to be like, we should build this functionality in for this, you know, so. So for other wine brands that are listening to our podcast or other wine professionals, what does it take to set up AR for a wine or a brand? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't take a lot, you know, especially with web AR right now. We're still on our Living Wine Labels app, but we also have web AR and we can talk about some of the experiences with Snoop. But I think AR, like a lot of technologies, is progressing in that trying to take out the barriers. A big thing that happened was in one of the Apple updates a couple of years ago, iOS you know, had the ability to recognize QR codes and also to recognize better like some of the augmented reality engines like Unity and Vuforia. And so we're seeing a lot of barriers breaking down. And I guess I'm letting out a little bit of sort of how we the sausage is made, but I would concentrate on web AR and how can you obviously do something just through your camera phone versus downloading an app, right? So, but I mean, people love our app and still have it. And I talked about those downloads, the active users on that are still very high. I mean, with anything, the pandemic has shown that people will take their phone out, scan a QR code and direct link to something. It's the same thing for web AR at this point. So I got to imagine that over the pandemic, you've seen the actual usage go up. Yeah. And we see it also happening during big holidays, like because we know that people are wanting to show it at a dinner party or with their friends or family, or they're picking up anytime we drop a new SKU, like we see an uptick in usage as well, because it's now in our DNA. If I launch the SKU without augmented reality, like I get so much complaints from consumers being like, what the hell, you know? So So I am curious, again, for framing it for other wineries or brands that may want to explore this. 
What do you think it would cost or what should it cost to set up and build AR for a wine brand? Obviously, discounting the celebrity branding and things like that from this equation. Yeah, I mean, it's not something that I think it's getting cheaper, but it's not something for the faint-hearted. I would see it as part of your creative, your overall creative budget. Probably to have a really great experience, it could be anywhere from low to mid to high five figures going into low six figures, but it really depends on on what you're looking for. I'd also say a key thing is if someone sees it once, what's the reasons to come back? So are you updating something? Is it something that is really cool or something that has functionality or utility that allows you to come back and want to use it again or show it with your friends? Or does it teach you something about the wine or the winery? You know, we're all in the hunt of wine education, right? And that's not 19 Crimes' bag, but it could certainly be some other people's bag, you know? But the reason to come back, I think, is key. A lot of people get tricked up in terms of building something. And I see it once, I'm like, that's cool. I'm probably never going to use it again. I'm never going to show people again because it's not as cool as something else. And so what's the reason to have people back? And so that ROI could be really tough if someone sees it once and they don't ever come back or they don't know how to explore more. So in your case, it works great because you have a wide swath of products that people can either use that app or get used to the same flow, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. Or putting promotions on there. We're switching things up a little bit and making tweaks. But yeah, I mean, the reason to come back is key. And I think a lot of people, after we launched, launched these really interesting experiences, but they were sort of one and done. They were like, I don't know, I'm not going to call out competitors, but they were like, all right, you're in this world, a clown comes through in an augmented reality, but like, I see that once. And if it's not cool enough for me to show my friends, why am I going to come back? And then you've invested all this money up front, or you're not driving paid media to it, right? And the awareness is really low. So I am curious on what are the ongoing costs of the technology? So obviously you have the investment of getting the creative and the initial tech set up. What I heard is like eighty dollars to $200,000 as an initial investment. What is the runtime cost you're on? I think it depends on what your goals are. Like with WebAR, obviously, I think we can all predict like website updates and there are certain licensed technologies that you would need to license. I think if with an app, it gets a little bit more pricier because you need devs and things to update apps. And just upkeep is, is going to be, you know, not for the faint-hearted. So I'm not going to go into specific numbers, but I think if it's an app, it's you're looking into the six figures and to some degree, if you're updating creative, you can add on that. If it's something simple, in web AR, you're probably looking less and the upkeep is less. So, but there are licenses, you know, we use AR engines that need licensing as monthly fees, but I'm sure there are ways to do it on the cheap and in an economical way. So, you had mentioned just a second ago about driving marketing to these channels and to create that awareness. As you launched AR for 19 Crimes, how did that change your marketing budget from a, like where you focused or where you were driving it? Were you pushing more? on the AR as soon as that launched from traditional marketing resources? Yeah, I think it was in the beginning, we didn't expect to take off so crazy. And so like it really happened like tons of earned media and we quickly knew that we needed to pivot. I was using a portion of my paid budget to be able to drive to, let's call it the Google Play and Apple App Store. I was creating like paid social ads that had the bottle augmenting that said, you know, download the app now. So we quickly pivoted because we knew this, obviously the internet moves fast and uh, things are viral in a flash and then they, then it becomes old news. And so how was I able to keep creating that awareness to do that? And that was a mixture of PR efforts, paid efforts, and like a lot of our native social work. It obviously helped with sales because people are like, I want to buy the augmented reality bottle. And then 
they would be like, I really like this 19 crime story. This is a wine for me and the price point that I want and the taste profile that I want. And so it definitely was, I can't equate it just to living wine labels, but it, or to augmented reality, but it was a big hook that we then invested behind. And I still invest behind it in terms of Google Play Store, like Apple App Store, and also a lot of my ads feature AR as still the hook. So I can imagine that many people in the industry are thinking, hey, I'll do AR and that will generate the tons of sales. And they probably overly simplify, reduce it down to 19 grams as this AR thing that has driven that, but it's actually only one component. So I'm curious for people that want to get into AR and want to look at applying it, what are some of the key lessons or best practice so that other people can start to adopt a similar technology? Because there have been a number of other people who have tried it, but no one has done it to your level of success. Yeah, I would say before you go in and dive in, think about what this means for the consumer. What are they getting from this? Are they getting entertainment, which is more in the vein of 19 crimes, or is it something within wine education utility? And some like it's not, we can't speak to ourselves, right? That's how we fail. We can't say, I think this is cool. We need to make sure that the consumer will really love this. Second thing I'll say is, what's the reason to come back? Like, are you committed to a roadmap of AR as part of whether it's your marketing spend, your content spend, or whatever? Because like I said, you do something cool once, what's the reason to come back? Why do I come back? Maybe it's a really low spend, so you just want the consumer to come once and and then you tick the box. But I would say the bigger opportunity is what's the reason to come back and to view this experience or to learn something more of about wine through AR. And then three, what are the barriers to entry? If you're downloading an app, and like I'm just going to be honest, if you're downloading an app, that's harder to do than to go on a website on your mobile phone and then have augmented reality just work there. And so we're transitioning to have more experiences on web. But I would say people are less and less inclined to download an app, right? Our phones are all have so many apps on it. Like that could be, oh, I don't want to do that now. I don't have Wi-Fi or like I don't have great service right now. I'm not going to do that. And then you forget about it and you lose the opportunity. And I am curious, you mentioned that, you know, 19 grams is exploring the entertainment vein of what the user is going to get out of it. Is any other part of Treasury looking at rolling out something with a slightly different take? I mean, our Living Wine Labels app, it is mostly about 19 crimes, but we definitely did do augmented reality experiences for some other brands. And they were more about, some were about more of the marketing yarn or the narrative. Some talked about the provenance of the wine or the vineyard. And uh, I think, you know, I'll admit, be the first one to varying degrees of success. I still think there's a big opportunity. You guys know, like, we all read back labels from time to time because we want to know about the provenance or the varietal, like, breakdown. But let's think of all the times that we don't read a back label because they're so boring. And so I still think there's a way through augmented reality, through scanning a QR code on pack or just scanning a bottle to bring those, that wine education or that spec sheet to life. And, um, I would say whoever cracks it would be really great. Certainly, we're thinking about it. And it's something that the retailers love because Americans as a whole, on the average, not like probably you guys or the people you speak to all the time, we feel a little insecure about our wine knowledge, what to buy, at what price point. I don't want it to be too cheap. What does it pair with? And there's a little bit more barriers to entry in wine than I see in other industries in terms of your level of education. So what if augmented reality or technology could play a role in doing that. And, you know, the Vivinos of the world are great, but let's talk about the vividness and of it coming to life, not through just copy and reading words. Could it come to life in a different way? And that probably is something that I think the industry can look into a little more. So 19 Crimes kind of 
took it to another level with celebrity endorsements, starting with Snoop Dogg and then now Martha Stewart. How did that partnership with Snoop come about? Great question. All of the people, let's call it our rogues or our heroes, they've unfortunately passed away. They're over 200 years old in a lot of cases. And we were really thinking about who is the modern face of 19 Crimes? Who could really embody some of those principles and traits and that human spirit? And I think it was like, who has like been deemed as society as X and become Y? And Snoop really stuck out to us because he, to me, is the modern day Renaissance person in that he started out as a rapper and you know, a lot of people labeled him gangster rapper, whatever you want to call him. And he's still a musician, but he's gone on to become a king in the NFT space, a businessman, a football coach, father, husband, actor. And we just thought he was the perfect person to represent some of those principles of those past people in 19 Crimes. And so we, uh, through a lot of negotiation, we eventually sold the story in and he was really, really into it. And you know what we concentrate on was his redemption story and his story in terms of his evolution. And just like 19 Crimes has evolved and those people and our heroes, Snoop has evolved as well. And at first, you know, I'll let you in on a little secret. Like he was like, I don't know, you know, about putting my face on the bottle because a lot of these celebrity endorsements, you're not like, it's not necessarily like you have your signature or we have so much stuff in wine with celebrities. And when have you seen their face on the bottle? But we're like, we're all about people. And so we were able to do that. We finally got him across that because that's in the brand DNA. And Snoop obviously agreed to that. We found a great iconic photo of him and he knocked augmented reality out of the park and we backed it up with a big campaign. And the wine delivers. It's the first California appellated wine in 19 Crimes because all of the other SKUs were Australian, true to the Australian roots. So how successful have these partnerships been and how are you able to attribute to the success? You mentioned 200,000 people brought into the wine category, which is amazing and we need more of that. But have you been able to parse out like that these partnerships have really driven your sales up more than just the AR and, and things like that? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you guys know, but Cali Red, which is the first SKU, which is a red blend, and then Cali Rosé, which is the second SKU, which launched with Snoop. They've been crowned as, in terms of dollar sales, the wine innovation of 2020 and the wine innovation of 2021. So in terms of new items in, let's call it IRI, and in terms of our depletions, in terms of dollar sales, these were the two top new items of the year. We think we have a third one coming with, obviously, Martha as well. So I'm going for that three-peat. But it's certainly quantifiable in terms of just looking at how we've structured the deals and what we pay them versus obviously what we've been able to create, which is huge value, not only for those SKUs, but the brand itself. My um, awareness numbers have doubled in terms of aided awareness. I'm really, really proud of bringing 200,000 people into wine through some of the Snoop stuff that we've done. Because let's face it, we need to grow the wine category. We see all these crazy reports, oh, the new, you know, the younger crowd doesn't want to drink your grandfather's cab and we're losing a lot of people to adjacent categories. So things like this is music to wine marketers' ears in terms of us recreating ourselves and bringing new people into wine and not losing it to the, whether it's cannabis or it's the white claws of the world. And you started with Snoop. How did the Martha partnership come about? I know they've done a lot of collabs together. Was that something he introduced? Yeah. So Snoop was talking about his collab with Martha. And then we then reached out to Martha's team. And 19 Crimes is always growing. We're always trying to grow our funnel. And we realized a really great opportunity with Chardonnay. 
and Martha wanted to do a Chardonnay. And, you know, we're always trying to get bigger and grow the 19 Crimes franchise. And we felt with Martha's fan and like also the Chardonnay demographic, which I don't have to tell you guys is a little older than our normal 19 Crimes demo. We saw a really, really massive opportunity. I'll also say the bridal segment, a little bit sea of sameness, a little bit people love their Chardonnay, but they can't really articulate why. And we just saw an opportunity to come in and do something really different with Martha. And I will tell you, Martha has been so involved with the winemaking. She tasted all of the samples. She would call our winemaker directly. And we think we found a great crossover Chardonnay between, let's call it the oaky buttery side of the paradigm and then the drier, more Burgundian side. So we think we found a crossover shard that appeals to both sides of the aisle and we couldn't be more pleased and Martha couldn't be more pleased. So, And uh, sort of as a, as a joke, but her crime is not one of the 19, is it? I don't think it is, but she is also has her redemption story and she has broken everything society says in terms of what they tell her she can or can't do. And so I call her the OG influencer. She's such an icon and we're proud to have her on the team. I got to ask, who is easier to work with, Martha or Snoop? You know, they're both heavy hitters. They're both head honchos. They're both CEOs. So they're both demanding in terms of being like, what are we selling? What's the plan? And I like that from a partner. I take that any day of the week versus a celebrity who was disengaged and who didn't care about it and was just like, let me see the check, but then is not involved in terms of helping this. Like Because of the way we've structured the deals and Martha and Snoop are incentivized to promote this and they believe in it. Like Martha, if she thought the wine was crap, she wouldn't promote it or she wouldn't let us go to market. And I'm really, really happy for that in terms of her involvement. And the way in which Snoop and Martha have both supported from their social accounts, I mean, they both a lot socially, which is good for us. And they've gone above and beyond what we originally asked for. And that's obviously music to a marketer's ears and being a great partner. Their face is on the bottle after all. Exactly. Exactly. And they both have augmented reality on it too. So There you go. So what kind of scale do you think a wine brand needs to actually have a successful celebrity partnership? Obviously, 19 Crimes is a lot of scale, but there's small brands that you might be starting or others. How would they think about a celebrity partnership? Yeah, I mean, I think it's first identifying the right celebrity for you in terms of where you want to go and how you want to grow or the target. And I think a lot of folks have thrown in with celebrities, but not thinking about how will they use that celebrity to really help. And I'll be honest, like it's not going to maybe with a small, if you're a small winery and you offer up an equity package or something or whatever it is, like it's really, really important to talk to that person and be like, how can you be involved? We don't want you to just be a line in the press release or tasting notes. Like I think to stick out, you need folks to be really passionate and also to really, really take a good role in it. And so you know, my advice would be to think through the demo and to think through, you know, what you could offer and what a celebrity could offer back. But if it's going to be a background play, and unless it's super luxury, or unless that person is the most influential person out there, you know, I think it could be a very expensive proposition that could be hard to get out to, especially for people that don't have huge marketing budgets. I'll add that you want to invest in a celebrity, but you equally need even more dollars to promote that. And so I've seen a lot of pitfalls where you throw it all into a celebrity and then you don't have big marketing budgets or you don't have any ways to promote that. And then someone's going to be like, well, you paid me what I asked for and it's not my problem that you don't have money to promote. And then the wine or the spirit or the beer fails. So how are you going to think about it? You have to think about it very, very, a couple steps further before just being like, 
oh, someone wants to partner with me, I'll throw them some royalties and we're going to keep going and sell it to the buyer. You has to be thought about a little bit, a couple further steps down the road in terms of why this works and why it's a perfect fit. It's a partnership for a reason, right? So, so I am curious on how you've leveraged their celebrity to make the overall 19 Crimes brand more successful. How do you calculate going into something like a partnership with a real person versus a historical fictional person? How do you calculate the ROI that you think or you hope to derive by this celebrity partnership to know that you want to do it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the easiest way for us is being like how that particular skew and the skews that you innovate in that partnership, how much are they selling? And obviously within you can kind of get to a threshold in terms of what you're looking for in terms of your profit margin. But I think we also looked at it from, hey, how can Snoop and Martha help the entire franchise? We have a lot of SKUs. We're a big brand. And so inevitably, like this is new news that buyers are telling us is reasons to believe and to get the whole franchise out on the floor, right? In my line of business, especially with 19 Crimes, floor space is paramount to us having rate of sale and to us flying off shelf. And these are big reasons to believe in terms of you know, when we go out and have those big 19 crimes displays, it's not just Snoop and Martha. It could be our other red blend or our Cabernet or our Shiraz or other SKUs. And so we also looked at it as an awareness play and also lifting up the whole brand. And we're not seeing that cannibalization across the portfolio. So is there a calculation of like, how many SKUs can I get with this one celebrity that will make it worth it? Because you largely know you're targeting a Chardonnay with Martha and you're targeting a Rosé with Snoop. You're basically lining up four or five SKUs per celebrity to kind of like hone in on it. Is that part of the calculation as well? Yeah. I mean, if the first SKU bombs, I don't know if you do a second one, right? Or you try to innovate on that, but certainly, and especially in Snoop and Martha's case, they're like, I have a ton of ideas. I want to innovate. And, you know, I mean, let's face it, at the end of the day, if there's more SKUs, they get a bigger check, right? And it's that quid pro quo of we make more money, they make more money, and we deliver something to the consumer that they'll want. I'm not just going to try to do something that I think is not in growth. I'm going to try to work with the celebrity on what we think is something that's in growth or the varietal or the segment and then see what they say. They could also come back to us. Snoop came back to us and was like, I want to do a rosea. I want to do something for the ladies. At that time when we launched, it was 2021 springtime and we were all thought we were coming out of COVID and it's going to be this big party. And yes, it was. Yes, it was. But anyway, he wanted to do a rosé and we then obviously looked into that and verified it through our consumer data and was like, that's a good thing to do. So like I said, it's a partnership. And I think with Snoop and Martha in terms of demands, we don't want to stop at one SKU. We want to keep innovating and we want to keep giving the consumer value in terms of stuff that they want to buy. You know, So that's a big thing as well. So you're very clear in your terminology, you're calling it a partnership, which means that you both are contributing not only creativity, but also profiting together. What's the business model look like for them? Is it upfront fee and royalties or is it vary by person? My PR team probably wouldn't want me to talk about that. So I probably can't. But I think what you're seeing a lot, I'll talk about from the industry as a whole, is some equity plays with some smaller startup. We all know about the Ryan Reynolds and the rocks of the world in terms of spirits. I've seen stuff where that's structured with just an upfront fee, an annual fee that's given on an annual basis. Now, the other way is also maybe there's an upfront fee and there's royalties involved. So there's a lot of way to structure it. And um, I think in wine, especially with the millions of dollars thrown at by other industries to celebrities, you got to think about it a little creatively in terms of how you get a deal done. Just because we don't necessarily have beer dollars or spirit dollars or tech dollars. So I definitely think the majority are 
kind of more creatively thought through. But you did allude to that they've gone above and beyond in terms of their promotion of the brand and the partnership. And you alluded to that the more they did with you, the more they were rewarded. And so it's like, I'm assuming there's some kind of beneficial relationship as the brand grows. Yeah, definitely. We grow, you grow. I think that's the best part of partnerships that how they're structured. And we have a lot of experience doing that. We have a great model. But, you know, just think about it logically too. If I'm promoting it on social and I'm getting more awareness and people are buying it and I'm maybe have a link to D2C or to a store finder or whatever, that's selling more wine, right? Like maybe the link isn't apples to apples. So I find the best partnership, they want to do it because they know like, hey, this is going to benefit me and I'm into it and I believe in this. And those best partnerships go above and beyond. And likewise, if Martha or Snoop came to us and be like, I want to launch this or some celebrity, I'd be open ears. I wouldn't shun it because I think that point of view, I'm the expert them. Like, you know, I think you listen with both open ears and, and that's what a true partnership is. So my last question on celebrity, obviously you've chosen two very famous celebrities in the US that are quite powerhouses. Do you see this as a new form of a market localization since 19 Crimes is a global brand? Is this something you're going to try to find local celebrities in other markets as well? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think you hit the nail on the head. Because 19 Crimes, our story is malleable and we concentrate on the principles of the original, let's call it gang or rogues. Those principles live in a ton of humans and whether they're famous or maybe they have a similar story to the local folk in Australia or somewhere else, these are stories that live throughout our societies and throughout a lot of different cultures. So definitely, we have a great brand DNA. And I think how we're able to tell that story and modernize that story and you know localize that story, there's certainly a big opportunity to do that. So that plays a little bit into what's next for 19 Crimes. You had leader in AR, one of the leaders in celebrity endorsement. What's coming next? Yeah, it's a lot about concentrating on how we continue to grow this franchise how we keep delivering this wine at a great price point to our consumers. We know that we need to stay on the ball, whether it's with technology or celebrity, because that's what our consumers expect. We know that this is a new news brand that keeps you know, recreating stuff and evolving. And so you know, I definitely would watch the AR space in terms of how we evolve through AR. We definitely have big plans and it's not just a flash in the pan. And certainly in terms of you know, what we do from a global lens, in terms of there's huge markets and opportunities that we've untapped. And also, you touched on it, the localization opportunity. And so how can this be a global, truly a global wine brand in nature and using sort of the things that made us famous in the first place in the US and Canada to a wider audience? Ming, as we wrap up every episode, we always want to end on a personal note, just to highlight the speaker. What was the most memorable wine you had over the last year? And more importantly, who did you drink it with? So. I'm going to say a brand one and then I'm going to say a personal one. Tasting Martha's Shard with Martha herself and in the past with Snoop, but tasting Martha's Shard with such a, with, she's so iconic. She is such a tastemaker. She has a great knowledge of obviously food and wine and tasting with her and hearing her talk and describe the wine. Like in my career, I'll never forget that. To be front and center with her just truly was an amazing experience. And I've learned so much from her. I've learned so much from Snoop, but definitely from a brand lens. That's a good one. The other one is I was able to get my hands on a 1986 Brico Roque Barolo. And 86 is important to me because that was when my brother was born and my sister-in-law and they had recently had a baby. And 
we opened up a bottle of 86. Obviously, I need to buy that birth year for the baby and we need to age that like crazy. But that was really important and really cool. You know, I hadn't had a Barolo that old before and it was certainly quite a cool experience and um, something that I'll never forget. And then I guess locally, I also opened up with another buddy. We just both had kids, a 96 Dominus and really the epicenter of uh, Napa Cult Cabs. I know Dominus is so hot right now in terms of some of the accolades. I think it was number one on Spectator or number one in one of the pubs. And to taste something from 96, to really go deep into such a great and fine made wine was incredible. And it's better to open up wine with friends and to do it on huge occasions because you can appreciate more, which I'm sure you guys can relate to. Creating those special moments with some special wine. Well, Ming, thank you so much for sharing so much detail. We've been super eager to get this interview on the books. I really wanted to talk about this because you guys are a leader in this space and are doing really interesting things. So thank you for all the knowledge you've shared with us on this episode. Yeah, happy to come back. Would love to come back and let's keep in touch. I'm sure 19 Crimes will have some new stuff that we can talk about when we want to, but I really, really appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. Don't forget to go to patreon.com slash xchateau if you'd like to support us in bringing you the highest quality content on the business of wine. Thanks for joining us. If you loved this episode of X Chateau, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.